Christmas time is one of my favorite times. This fall, thinking about all the holidays coming up, I love this time of year. I love the cooler weather, the trees changing. Uh, a group of guys got to go to Arkansas on Thursday night, and we were driving, and you could see just the, the, the color of the trees. Just It was beautiful. The water was clear where we were camping. It was just a great time. It's one of my favorite times of year. And I also love the holidays. Now, in Texas, I think really any, anywhere, if you step foot in Walmart on July 5th, what are you going to see? Christmas decor, right? Like, I don't know why, but July 5th, it's like, all right, celebrating of the country's over. It's time to move on to, to fall colors and to the holidays. Like Dollar General two months ago uh, took all of the Halloween candy off the aisle and insert all of your Christmas mugs and all of the, the Christmas candy. And I'm thinking, man, we're not even to November yet. But that's just how we are. And I love decorating. I'm, I'm probably unique in this. I love decorating for Christmas. I love setting up the Christmas lights. Uh, and there was a time where... Um, you know, when you, when you go and you get all your decor and you get all of your string lights laid out, I love putting lights up on the house. Dangerous. I know some people just pay people. That's great. Some people are like Scrooge and they're like, hey, I don't want to do anything with Christmas lights. That may be you. May the Lord save you this morning. Um, regardless, I enjoy doing it. I love kind of brainstorming and every year it pretty well looks the same, but the outline of the house and doing that, making sure everything's good. So what do you do? You, get, you prep it, right? Like you get all your lights, you check the bulbs, you plug everything in. Okay, I can do four strands together and then I need another cord running up this and you got to have a black cord because you got a black roof. You don't want an orange cord. It sticks out like a sore thumb. So you go through this. Maybe it's just me. Based off of some of your expressions, it might just be me, but that's okay. You get it all lined out. You make sure you have everything uh, kind of like Christmas vacation. I'm not to that extent, Griswold, uh, but I do enjoy putting it up. Put in all of the work for what? The big reveal. Ours is typically uh, right around Thanksgiving where it's like, all right, I can get behind the Christmas music. I can get behind the Christmas spirit. Let's get the, the lights up. Well, a couple years ago, I was getting everything situated. I had it all working. All the lights were plugged in. So I go and I start stringing these lights. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work for me. I'm by myself. Cody kind of holds the ladder. Uh, the kids kind of hand me some stuff. But it's a lot of up and down. Well, anyways, it gets time for the big reveal. Mind you, I had tried everything, right? I, I had made sure all the lights worked. Everything was great. And lo and behold, Brighton had come behind me and unplugged the main power switch. So I get everybody gathered outside. It's cold. Uh, you know, it's cold this night, and so I'm like, all right, I can't wait to plug, you know, here we go, three, two, one, it's all done, uh, Alexa, turn on the Christmas lights, you know, all that kind of stuff, and she unplugged the lights, so this big, all of this energy went into this big reveal of these Christmas lights, and lo and behold, Brighton had unplugged and disconnected the power, and it took me a little bit, I'm like checking breakers, why didn't I go to the follow the cord? I don't know. But she had plugged just the middle cord. So in my mind, I go to the wall. It's plugged in. I'm thinking, all right, everything's good. It took me about 30 minutes to figure it out. Kids, wife, everybody's back inside. I finally figure it out and get them back in. But it's amazing what happens uh, when you are plugged in and connected to the power. Or better yet, it's amazing what happens when you are unplugged and disconnected from the power. You have to have that. It doesn't matter how long I, I, in the daylight, how, how beautiful it looks. It, it has to have power at night for your light 
to shine. And sometimes I think that's the way our faith life works. We do all of the work of getting everything looking good, right? Like we want to make sure we have the the right job in our life. If you think about your faith life, man, if I just have this right job, then all will be good. If my family looks semi-good, then from the outside looking in, everything seems to be good. Like I'm doing okay in life. As long as my kids act right, as long as my grades are A's or B's, as long as this happens, things seem so good. And we pour a lot of effort into things that don't really matter. We try things on our own and in our own power. And all along, we miss out on what the Spirit of God is doing. We're disconnected from the power that God offers through the Son and the Spirit. Kent Hughes says it like this, to kind of wrap that up. Maybe you were tracking with me, maybe you weren't. But to kind of just sum that up, there is an untold power available for every believer in Christ. But so many never hook up. They never plug in to the power of Christ, and their lives are thus impotent and shamefully useless. Y'all, there is so much to be said to the power of Christ in us. And I'm not sure if we're scared of that. Like if you think about the power of Christ, maybe that weirds you out, the power of the Holy Spirit, or maybe you're just confused or unclear what that looks like for you in your life. But I don't want us, nor does Paul, want us to miss out on this beautiful adventure that God has called us into. And it's an adventure that Paul's continued to draw our hearts off of ourself and onto the majesty of Christ. That as a Christian, from chapter 1, verse 1, we see this progression, that God has pursued you, that he, God, has chosen you. In Christ, he says, you are holy and blameless in love before him. He says you are predestined. He adopted you. He delights in you. And it's out of his good pleasure, as Paul says, of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. What? That he lavished his grace on you in Christ. Church, he's redeemed you through his blood. He's forgiven you. He brings everything together in Christ. He goes on and he says you've received this inheritance in him. He's your hope. He's sealed you and he's promised you his spirit. Church, being united in Christ is so much more than saying a prayer as a kid. It's so much more than just walking the aisle at a youth event as a teenager thinking, well, everybody's doing it, so I might as well doing that. be doing that. The beauty of the gospel, friend, is that he takes dead hearts and he alone makes them alive. That's the beauty of the gospel. That same power is what empowers you as a Christian to be raised with Christ, as we saw last week as Kyle got baptized. Buried with him, dead to your sin, but raised to walk in newness of life. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that you can live this beautiful adventure that he's calling you to. And so the question you have to answer this morning is this. Are you connected to him? Are you plugged in to the fullness of Christ? Let's look at our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. And we touched on this a few weeks ago, but to kind of recap that, he says this. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance. So you have hope of his calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? Father, would you again just stir in our hearts, would your spirit lead? All I have is you, Christ, crucified, buried, resurrected, the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Would you stir in our hearts? Would you begin to to stir in our hearts to see and experience true revival, Lord, that we actually can lead our families and lead our coworkers to you because of the power that you've given us that we have access to? Would we plug into you today? Father, we need you. Would you awaken our spirits in a mighty way? In Jesus' name, amen. So a few weeks ago, we walked through uh, verses 18 and 19, and then kind of give you that recap. We looked at how Paul continues this prayer, all right, this introduction, and then he moves into this prayer. It's constantly praising, and then we see a shift where he's actually asking, petitioning that God would do something. We saw that the greatest need we had two weeks ago, the greatest need that we have is to know God more. And in knowing him, we get to know the blessings of the gospel better. And in knowing God more, we get, to, we get to know and fully experience him better. Paul prayed, as we just read, that our eyes of their hearts, the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened so that they may know. And it's interesting, he uses that same phrase here in chapter 1, but then again in chapter 3. It's a prayer that he's begging, he's petitioning God, would we know all of you, the fullness of Christ. It's a prayer for spiritual power. In in Ephesians chapter 3, he actually says that we would be rooted and firmly established, that we may know God more by knowing the blessings of the gospel. Why? Why would we want that? Why would we need that? Is it so that we may endure as Christians? Yes, absolutely. That, That is a huge part of that, but also so that we may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Like there's something about knowing God more that opens up the door for you and me as Christians to experience the fullness of his power. That's what Paul just keeps driving home. Some of you are like, man, every week it seems like it's the same passage. It is, and Paul keeps doing it, and he says, please, Spirit, would you give us more? Would you awaken our hearts, enlighten our minds and our souls to know you in the fullness? And I'll be honest about this, just kind of thinking about there's something about knowing God more that opens up the door for you to experience the fullness of his power. Like, that sounds great. It really does. It sounds really good. But I don't need any more good ideas or ways to improve myself. I'm constantly bombarded with, with better methods. Like, I am not the best leader. I can, I can read 15 books this week and still learn. Like, I'm not the best. I don't really need any more good ideas or ways to improve myself. I don't need any other methods or routines to try and fix me. What I need, Christian, brother and sister, what we need is to be connected to Christ. That my life just shines with the power of his love so that others might see Jesus, maybe more practically, my kids don't need me to be their savior. What they need is a dad who points them to their true savior. 
Toledo doesn't need another church that is full of programs or just another Sunday service. What we need and why we have planted this church is we need a family of families who love Jesus and points everyone to who? Not us, not me, not yourself, but to a powerful Savior who can break the chains of addiction, who truly can redeem people out of the pits of of all of our depression and anxieties. He truly can lift the eyes of his people. He does it every day. They need to be pointed to the one who can restore broken families, who can crush the idols of our culture. And for that to happen, we have to be plugged in and connected to the power of Christ. And when we see that happen, when we experience that happen, folks, we'll see revival break out in this community. You'll see personal revival in your own hearts where you start thinking, man, I want more of this. I want more of this. I want to experience him and know him more and better and stronger. And I want more of this for my kids. The world that we're, they're, we're raising these kids in, they don't need more, um, they don't need better options. They need the only option, and that's Jesus. That's what they need from us. My prayer is that we'd see over time uh, Bible studies break out in workrooms where you as a believer, would actually go to your workforce and think, man, God, you have me here for a reason. It's not just the eight to five. It's not just so I can provide for my family. It does all of that. But more than that, you have me here sitting next to John so that I can share the gospel, the good news with John, because John's only chance might be you. He might never step foot in here. You have a better opportunity of witnessing and ministering to John than I will ever have for whatever reason. People won't step foot into a church, but you know what? They'll have a conversation with a friend or a coworker. They'll gladly have lunch with you. And all of the weight on the shoulder, on your shoulders, that you think you have to be prepared to go into that lunch and that meeting and think you have to say the perfect thing is where the power of the Spirit comes. It's off of you. All you have to do is be obedient and say, God, would you would you help me? And you know what? He's gonna help his children. That is a faithful promise that we can bank on. Are you plugged in and connected to him? Let's keep moving. Paul prays that their hearts would be enlightened to the hope of his calling. So he he talks more about this, our hope, as we've already seen in chapter 1, that Paul reminds them, your hope's anchored in our election, that before the foundations of the earth, he predestined us to be adopted. And our hope is sealed, as he says later, by the Holy Spirit, our down payment for what is to come. And Paul wants us to know this more, to take hold of this beautiful hope offered in Christ. And we can bank on all of Jesus in every area of our life. Great comfort and joy can be found in him, even in the midst of all of our difficulties. So he says those two things, and then he shifts and pivots, and he says, then Paul prays that our hearts would be enlightened to the truth that God made us in his inheritance, the glorious riches of his inheritance. If you weren't around, uh, let me just say this. He actually delights in you. You are his inheritance. Jesus, the king of the universe, God, the father in heaven, actually delights in his creation, you. Loves you, pursues you. You are worth more to him than his created universe. He didn't lay down his life for Pluto or for other planets. He laid down his life for you. You are his inheritance and he delights in you. You're worth more than anything to him. 
That's why Paul says he lavished his grace upon you. And then Paul prays that our hearts would be enlightened to the truth that we are united to and connected with the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe. Like this is where I want us to camp out as we look at these last few verses because Paul is about to expound on this word power. If I could sum up the last few verses, it's Paul describing powerly, powerfully the powerful power that our powerful God bestows upon us. Like that, that's a lot of powers. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's about to expound even more with the adjectives. Why? Because remember the culture that they're coming out of. Different cults, worshiping astrology, different uh, emperors that they would lay down their life for, that they would offer up offerings of silver and gold. They would build statues for other earthly kings, things outside of God, and they've been redeemed from that. Once children of darkness, God's pulled them out, and Paul's reminding them, saying, hey, 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 this guy Artemis is talking a lot about power, but let me tell you about the powerful power that we have through King Jesus. Let me remind you about the one, the only one who's ever come to you and pulled you out of the darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of light. Paul says, may you wake up. Would you please cling to this? You want revival? Cling to this. Understand the powerful power of Christ. And this is how he expounds on this. This is what I want for us. This, if, I, if, if I, you couldn't tell earlier, right? Like if, you, if I, you were like, well, I wonder where he's going with this. I've said the word power 27 times. We're going to be talking about God's power because it's important. It's what connects us to delighting in all of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Paul unpacks the connection we have in Christ with the power we have through Christ as we live our everyday lives as Christians. So verse 20 through 23, he says this, he, God, exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet he appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So Paul understands this because he understands the Old Testament writings. He grew up understanding that and learning the, the Jewish uh, the law and understanding the, the prophets and, and the prophecies that were being fulfilled. And so he had a little bit of experience with understanding the Old Testament. And how God used to display his glory and his power was through powerful ways, typically through creation, right? Like the wind and the storms. If you look back at the, uh, the story, or if you could even look at Noah and the flood, like the power that God portrays through the flood. And if you look at the story of Exodus, over and over and over again, God provides for them in a powerful way. His people are hungry. He provides quail and manna from heaven. Like manna falls from heaven. What a sight. Like, what a powerful explanation of God's power right there. He also provides in, in miraculous ways through the plagues. I mean, much less the Red Sea, right? Like, the power that that took, that God split the Red Sea so his people can walk across on dry land, and then as the Israelites, or as uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians are, are coming down on them, they're about to be up to them out of his power. The waves crash, and Pharaoh and all of his men are killed. And God's people 
are delivered out of slavery, out of exile. And then Paul, so he knows that, and he says, hey, let me, let me tell you about the power that we have through Jesus. All of those examples, all of the Old Testament folks, and, and he's talking, remember he's writing a letter to them, caught up in power. He says all of that actually points to the power of the resurrection. And we're going to see that in just a second. But to my kiddos here, I want to talk about power. And you can answer out loud, I think. I think this is a safe question. But what do you think of when you hear the word power? Anybody? Means you're powerful. Boom. Nailed it. Alexa, what do you? Who? Biden. So presidents, yeah. Yeah, yeah, lots of power there. What else, kids? When you think of the word power. God. Okay, strong, good. I just was curious what y'all were thinking of. Uh, all of my younger kids probably would have said something like superheroes, right? Like Batman or super Superman. But think about some of your heroes now in your life, kids. Adults, you can play along with this. Think about some of your heroes. Maybe that's a superhero that you just didn't want to say out loud, Superman or Batman or Spider-Man. Uh, maybe that's mom or dad, right? Like heroes can be mom or dad. Maybe that's um, your coach. Maybe it's your favorite sports hero. Whoever you might be thinking of, Paul, I want you to hear as we go through this, Paul uses some really cool words to talk about the power of the one true hero, which is Jesus Christ. And he uses some words that are really, really powerful, for lack of a better word, uh, that, that explain the power that we have in Jesus, And I think it's important for you, whatever age you find yourself, kid or adult, to understand what you have access to. And that's what Paul does right here. One of the words he uses in the Greek language is dunamis. Kids, this is where we get our word dynamite. And this word dunamis is used over 100 times in the New Testament. And it represents this, raw power and strength. So think of this as Paul's explaining defining the power of Christ, of Jesus Christ, he's saying Christ is like dynamite. Like you've seen what dynamite does. It blows things up. It is what? It's powerful. Paul says dunamis to describe Christ's power when he is risen from the grave. It represents raw power and strength. So God's power, kids, is dynamite. It's full of his raw power power and strength. Another one he uses to describe Jesus is kratos in the Greek. That is where we get the word conquer. So Paul's going to use this word conquer. He's going to use this word power. And it was important for them because kings in those days, if they had a lot of power, what do you think those kings asked them to do? If, if you were a king back then, you would ask your people to bow down. You would conquer other kings. You would try your best to conquer other regions. As a king, you said, I want my kingdom to grow. And so they would always do what it took to get more powerful, to become a king of more land. And what Paul's saying is God's power is all conquering. And we're going to see that explained here in just a second. He uses words like this for his readers because they knew he, he knew that they would understand that we're not talking about just any man. Kids, listen to this. We're not talking about just any superhero. We are talking about the one true hero, Jesus Christ, that you can bank on, that you can put your hope and faith in. The Son of God who's all-powerful, and yet he wants you and I to know him more. So as I go through this, kids, adults, you as well, I want you to listen 
um, to the, how Paul describes the power of Jesus and why Jesus is our true hero. So the first one we have in our text is that Jesus is the resurrected Savior. Why do we know that? Well, Paul says he exercised this power in the Christ by raising him from the dead. Just like God's highest dis- display of his love is represented through the cross, right? Like it's out of his great love that he sent his son, his one and only son, to be our perfect sacrifice, to take my place on that tree, to die the death that I deserved. That's his highest display of love. Now we see his highest dipl- display of power is seen when he raised Christ from the dead. Highest display of love on the tree, highest display of power as he raises Christ from the dead. Why? Because no man can do this. They're going to bury me one day six feet under the ground and I, will, I, I won't be able to bring myself back to life. There's never been a man who's brought himself back to life except for King Jesus. No hero we have has power enough to bring themselves back. Mom and dad heroes out there today, none of us could do this. We can't do this for our children. Children, your kids, your parents are great role models, but they shouldn't be your absolute hero. Jesus should. Why? Because only Christ is the resurrected Savior. And yet Paul desires them to see both personally and practically what? The immeasurable greatness of God's power is towards us who believe, towards those who believe. So Jesus has risen from the dead. He's trampled death through his death because he rose from the grave. God's power is so evident here. It's so powerful. And Paul's saying that he wants us to know more, to cling to this truth, to have access to this. As Christians, you have access to this power. So hear me this morning. Because, young and old, hear this. Because he is the resurrected Savior, you can know that Jesus is your hope. You can have hope through Christ, when all other people will fail, and they will, he will not. You can bank on him. And then Paul continues, and he says, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead, seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So the next thing Paul says is that he's our ascended advocate, and I'll explain that in a second, and the ruler of all things. Now I love this because he's risen from the grave and now he's ascended. He's gone back to the Father and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he serves as our advocate, meaning Christ, Jesus, your advocate has removed the wrath that you deserve from the Father. He's stepped in for you. Your hero is actually now your biggest fan. He's your champion. Other synonyms for this this word advocate. He's your defender. He's your supporter. Your spokesman who is for you and who has intervened on your behalf. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. And as children of darkness are brought into light, he looks at the Father and he says, No, 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 no. Hey, I know him. I know her. I know that child. Like, I'm stepping in for you. He is your advocate. And because Jesus is your ascended advocate, know that Jesus is for you. What a beautiful truth. Jesus is actually for you. And then Paul says he's also the ruler of all things, far above every ruler and authority. He says power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Christ is at the right hand, and that means everything for us. Here's what I mean by that. All things in heaven and on earth are under the reign of King Jesus. And he does it by sitting down. 
Let that just kind of sink in real quick. The ruler of all things, all dominions, all emperors, all kings, all creation sits at the right hand of the Father and is powerful enough to, to rule all of creation by sitting down. Tony Marina says this, if he upholds all things and does it sitting down, then we can trust him with our problems, both great and small. Our hope is not in any mere man. Our hope is in the seated king. I love it. The hero is seated, and yet he is in total control. And we knew that before Christ was even here. Psalm 8, the psalmist says, When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you took after him. You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen as well as all the animals in the wild. The birds of the sky, the flesh of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Christ Jesus is king. He controls all things, all authorities. Nothing, no one will ever catch him off guard. He answers to no other person, no other ruler, no other king. Nothing is going to distract him. As a father, I'm distracted all the time. Like my son might have my attention and then something might catch my attention over here. The father knows you, delights in you, and is never distracted from you. That's how powerful he is. At the same time, he's for me. He's for Jonathan. He's for Brown. He's for Slayton. And he's intervening as your advocate right beside you the whole time. He is the ruler of all things. Paul describes his supremacy over and over again. And he says ruler and uh, his supremacy over every ruler, authority, power, dominion, and every title given. So where earthly rulers and kings demand you to bow down to show them out of reverence that, you, that they represent authority, where kings want you to bow down, let me tell you what the king Jesus did. He actually came to you to serve you. We have the perfect example. Paul says in Philippians 2, I think it's on the screen, he says this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." The king in all of his glory came to us as the perfect example of humility. What other king does this? What other king comes to us and lays down his life? Jesus is truly better. And if he is this powerful, don't you know that he is powerful enough to break every chain or every addiction of, that has entangled you to sin? Like, don't you, don't you know, if he is that all-knowing and all-powerful, don't you believe that by that power of the Spirit, he has the power to break every, every sin that you feel entangled or entrapped to? He can do it. He can heal. He can restore. He can renew. 
He can save. And there's a lot of times, like, functionally, I get this. Like, I get this in my, my head some days, but not in my heart. Or some days, like, I believe this truth in my heart, but not in my head. And you know what I need? I need to be reconnected to the power. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to lift my eyes and for me to actually believe this. I need the power of the Spirit. I need this truth every single day that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to me and you and I have access to that same power. He's our ascended advocate. He's the ruler of all things and we can rest in the truth that he is sovereign and in control at this very moment. Are you plugged in and are you connected with him? And then lastly, we see that Paul prays that our hearts would be enlightened to this beautiful truth. He subjected everything under his feet, pointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Real quick, lastly, Jesus is head of the church. Like we are the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ make up the church. Christ is the head. Paul's reminding us this. So much so that he says the fullness, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way is Jesus Christ, the head of the church. I know it's Halloween and you might see like some heads rolling around as decorations, but, but kiddos, adults, track with me on this. Like you can't have one without the other. You can't have the body without the head. You can't have the head without the body. That's meaningful and impactful for us as Christians, that Jesus, the head of the church, actually wants to be connected to the body, sinners and sufferers. And it should be meaningful and moving for us that he doesn't leave us where we're at. He says, hey, I've given you the head. Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. I love this. He is the head of the church. His power is displayed in and through his church. Just as a quick side note, I'm not... I'm not the head of the church. The reason I say things like I'm one of the pastors, number one is because it's plurality of elders for us. We have multiple pastors because I'm, I'm a sinner saved by God's grace just like everybody in this room, and I need accountability. We as a church need accountability. So we believe in the plurality of that, like we're in this together. But I'm not the chief shepherd. Jesus Christ is the head, the chief shepherd. If I ever told you I was the chief shepherd of the church, run away. Go somewhere else. I am not that. I am an under-shepherd, but Jesus Christ is who we will preach, his, him crucified, him buried, him resurrected, is who I will preach because he is the chief shepherd. This church is not about me, it's about Christ. Paul clearly makes that case, and he does it in a beautiful way. And just to kind of sum that up, isn't it amazing that Jesus in all of his power and perfection identifies himself with us as sinners and sufferers? Like this church was his plan A. This was his mission. All along was to take broken people and use them for his glory. I love it. I love that we get to be a part of that. I love, I love our church. I love showing up um, on Sunday, gathering as, as a body of believers. You actually are what keep me up at night. You know that question, what keeps you up at night? Like, I enjoy my job. I enjoy thinking and praying and, and asking the Spirit to, to lead me, to guide me. I, I'm not perfect, uh, by all means. I will butcher many more sermons. I will mess up. I will sin against you. I will 
um, do all of the things like that. But I will try my best to point you to Jesus because he is the chief shepherd. And I enjoy church. Like I think about you guys throughout the week. Not how you're sinning. I think about like, man, I love the Snyders. I love that the Lord and his sovereignty brought them to our, our hood. Man, just what a, a cool journey is that. I, I love that the Mullins, I love that I get to coach with James. I, I love the tolls and just seeing how, how God has used them. I, I love all of our families, men, women, and children, because I enjoy the church. Because that's the bride of Christ. And sometimes I feel like we look at this institution of the church and we're like, yeah, we could be doing better. Or, man, I I don't like this church because they do this. Or I don't like my church. Or I love my church because of this preaching or because of this music. Like, man, Christ is the head of the church. We love the church because of what he's done for us and to us. And then he calls us into that. I love the church. And I want us as a body of believers to tap into, to, to be plugged into the power that he offers. Let's pray to that this morning. Father, would you take all of this? Would you take all of this and just stir in our hearts, Father? I know it's a lot. I know, I know it's a lot but I also know that your spirit's powerful enough to move in the hearts of your people right now. I know that you love us. I know that your son, Jesus, is at your right hand at this very moment, looking down on us, proud of us, not because of anything we've done or not done, just proud of his creation, just delighting in his children. Jesus is delighting in his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's united us to you. I mean, that alone right there is, is enough to try to wrap our minds around, much less that you not only delight in us, but you call us into, into this grand adventure of living for you. We get to do that through the church with fun people, with kids, men and women, young and old. Father, I pray that you stir in the hearts of your people this morning. That your word would awaken, awaken our souls to this good news, that we'd be reminded of, of who you are. That we have access to all of your powerful power. Lord, you actually do your best work through our brokenness and weakness. Father, and as we experience your love today in deeper ways, Lord, would we respond by joyfully, joyfully engaging in your mission through your church. Your church isn't broken, Father. It's your bride. We are broken. You, Christ, died for your bride. So any hurt maybe that's, that's happening right now as they think about the church, of course, it can always be better. There's always room for growth. Men and women will fail us. 
but you will not. And your word remains the same, that you, Jesus, are the head of the church. You sacrificed your life for us, for the church. You invite us in to your church, to your body. And as the head, Father, we submit to you. We ask that this church would evolve into whatever you have for us. I pray that you bring us broken people who are sinners and sufferers so that the only option we have is to point them to you who saves, restores, redeems, and heals. Would you move this morning as we sing and respond and do what only you can do? Father, um, it's evident I cannot change lives, but you can. And would you do that today? In Jesus' name.